Welcome back, friends. Bill Creasy here with Wednesday's episode of Scripture Uncovered. So today, this Wednesday, is Ash Wednesday and the beginning of Lent. Lent, a 40-day period, a journey through the wilderness, a time of fasting, penance, and prayer leading up to Jesus' arrest, trial, crucifixion, and his triumphal resurrection on Easter morning. But as I mentioned earlier, it sure seems like we've been through nearly a year of COVID Lent. It has dragged on and on. Now, wouldn't it be wonderful to reemerge from this wilderness, reacquaint ourselves with friends and share time together as longtime Logo students? Now, we can't meet in live classes yet, but we can get together gather around the story of Jesus' passion, and discuss it on live weekly Zoom sessions, actually seeing and hearing each other once again. So, beginning on, January, on February 26th and stretching through March 19th, I'll be doing a Lenten Passion of Christ series, together with my good friend and colleague, Reverend Judith Lyons. We'll have six video presentations and four live 90-minute Zoom discussions with you, myself, and Reverend Jude. So join us. If you go to the website, LogosBibleStudy.com, you can sign up for the series right there. It'll be a good way to observe Lent and a wonderful way for all of us to get back together one more time before we can finally be back in live classes. I miss all of you, and I desperately want to see you. So jump on the website, sign up for the Lenten series, and we'll have a fine time together. And I'd like you to meet Jude. She's been a very good friend for, oh gosh, almost four decades now. And I think you'll, you'll enjoy talking with her and the, the discussions and debates we'll have online. All right, back to our story. Now, when Jesus had finished saying all these things, when he had savaged the religious leaders at the southern steps, when he had stormed up the Mount of Olives, when he had pointed to the temple and said, it's all coming down, when? Well, he didn't know when. But he said, when it does happen, a sequence of events will occur. Now, when Jesus finished saying all these things in Matthew 26, he said to his disciples, As you know, the Passover is in two days, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Now, I mentioned in an earlier podcast that Jesus left Galilee after Peter's confession of faith at Caesarea Philippi and after the Transfiguration where God the Father validated Peter's confession in the presence of two credible witnesses, Moses and Elijah. At that point, Jesus was absolutely certain of his own self-identity and the purpose God had laid out for him. So they leave the Mount of Transfiguration and they head directly for Jerusalem. And along the way, three times, he said, we're going to Jerusalem, I'll be arrested, tried, crucified, buried, and raised. And sure enough, 
when he rides into Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday, when he rides in, his purpose is to make that appointment at the cross on Friday. And he does everything within his power to ensure it happens. So we're right at the very end here. We're right here on a Thursday. And he reminded them again, the Passover is in two days and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. And then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they plotted to arrest Jesus in some sly way and kill him. But not during the feast, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. Remember, that was a big concern. Jesus had hundreds of people at the southern steps cheering him on. Earlier that week on Palm Sunday, he rode in, imitating the way Solomon rode in when David elevated him to the throne. And there were crowds of people on the hillside of the Mount of Olives shaking palm branches. And what are the palm branches? Symbolic swords and proclaiming a king, proclaiming Jesus to be a king. This is incendiary. And then he went to the southern steps and around the western wall corner where the merchants were, and he threw them out. He turned over tables. He had a whip. He was beating people up. And then day by day, he escalates the encounter until what we just saw on Monday in our podcast. So how are the chief priests and elders of the people going to react? They have to arrest him and put him to death. But how can they do it without causing a riot, because the people are cheering him on all the way. Well, while Jesus was in Bethany, in the home of a man named Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. And when the disciples saw this, they, they were indignant. They, they said, this perfume could have been sold at a very high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing for me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. I tell you the truth. Wherever this gospel is preached, all throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Now, John gives us a variation of this story over in John chapter 12. We learn that all this takes place at the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And there were other guests there, uh, as well as Simon the leper and others. Martha was preparing dinner. Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet. And she got up, she went into her room, and she brought out that alabaster jar of perfume and poured it on him. Judas objected. Why, that could have been sold for a lot of money. And Jesus put him down, publicly humiliated him. 
at that dinner. Huh. Could be part of the motive that Jesus had for betraying Jesus, that Judas had for betraying Jesus. Then one of the twelve, one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they counted out for him thirty silver coins. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Now we get the distinct impression here in Matthew that the motive for Judas betraying Jesus was the money. 30 silver coins. Now, I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast our Lenten series coming up. Six videos. The first video is Jesus Riding into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, titled, And So It Begins. The second video is the confrontation, the escalation of confrontation that Jesus deliberately induces with the religious leaders. And then we have an excursus on Judas the betrayer, a whole hour-long lesson exploring Judas's motives. And we'll learn in that lesson in the Lenten series, we'll learn a lot about Judas. And we learn that the 30 silver coins were Tyrian shekels, A Tyrian shekel has 14 grams of silver in it. And if you look at the value of silver today, 30 silver coins with 14 grams of silver each amounts to $365.40. Is that a motive for Judas to betray Jesus? No, it's not. It's, a, it's bakshish. It's a, a tip, if you will. So why does Judas do it? Sign up for the Lenten series and you will find out. After that, after Judas, we do another excursus on Peter. Why did Peter deny Jesus? Peter was the closest to him. I mean, my gosh. Jesus lived in Peter's house for three years during his public ministry in Galilee. Why did Peter deny the Lord? And then session five, we have the crucifixion, and session six, the resurrection. Oh, I I think you'll like this series, and it, it really sheds light on what we're reading here in Matthew today. Because in that series, we look at all four Gospels to put the story together and weave the tale. Now, back to Matthew. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Where do you want us to make preparation for you to eat the Passover? So we're in town in Jerusalem for Passover. Normally 100,000 people live in Jerusalem. Now there are nearly a million people. Jesus and his disciples would have stayed at the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus in Bethany. Bethany is just up the Mount of Olives from Jerusalem and down the backside toward Jericho, maybe a quarter of a mile. We've been to Bethany many times in our visits to Israel. 
just a quarter mile on the backside of the Mount of Olives. They would meet at the Garden of Gethsemane at the end of the day and then walk up the hill to Bethany. So where do you want us to make preparation for the Passover? Because with all those people in town, you better have reservations somewhere. He replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So clearly Jesus has made preparations He's made reservations, if you will, for a room at a particular house in Jerusalem. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. Now when evening came, remember, day begins with sundown and it ends with sun up. There was evening, there was morning, the first day. So when the sun goes down and Passover begins, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve, and while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. Now, I, I'm not sure that he said that audibly. Perhaps he whispered it to John, who was seated at his left, or Peter, who was seated at his right. I don't think he made a grand announcement. They were all well, they were sad and began to say, who? Surely not I. Peter saying, couldn't be me. John, couldn't be me. And maybe some of the others closer to him heard it and said, it couldn't be me either. Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. And then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. They were all looking at him. You know, Judas of the twelve, Judas is the only one of the twelve disciples not from Galilee. He's from down south in in, near the Negev, about 10 miles south of Hebron. He's an outsider. He even had a different accent. Remember, in the courtyard of the high priest, Peter will be, be known as a Galilean by his accent. Judas wouldn't have that accent. He's an outsider. Surely not I, he said. And Jesus answered, yes, it is you. Now, while they were eating, you would think here, at this point, the others would get up and throw them out. But no, this is a, a, a private conversation. Jesus perhaps simply nodded. Yeah. Now, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat this is my body. He didn't say this is like my body. This is my body. And then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood, the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many 
for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. This is my body. This is my blood. So we'll need to do a podcast on this. It's certainly worthy of a, a full podcast, The Body and Blood of Christ. Across denominations, people have different understandings of it, but we need to look at it more closely, focusing particularly on John chapter 6. Have a look at it, and we'll do that podcast sometime in the future. So when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. The Hallel Psalms, the Passover praise psalms, were sung. And when they had finished, they got up and they headed for the Mount of Olives. And then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. That's from Zechariah chapter 13. At verse 7. But after I've risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Now Peter replied, and Peter's walking right next to Jesus. <laughs> Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. You can count on me, Lord. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this very night, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Peter said, no, even if I have to die, I will die with you. I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same adamantly. It's not going to happen. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. So he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, the very ones who were with him on the Mount of Transfiguration. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Sorrowful and troubled. The, the words are too weak. He, he was terrified. He knew what was going to happen. He said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He knew everything that would happen. He had seen crucifixions, but I don't think there was ever a crucifixion like his. The way he was interrogated, the way he was flogged, nearly beaten to death, I'm sure you've all seen Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ. That is an absolutely brutal movie. And the scene of his flogging, it's unbearable to watch. And when they finally cut him down, he falls to the pavement. They flip him over, face up, and they flog the front of him. He was ripped to shreds. And then carried that cross, or tried to carry that cross. No, he knew what was coming. He knew. 
My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Father, if there is any other way, please let me know. We read in Luke that he was praying so intently he was sweating blood. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. They had a long Passover meal. It was late at night. And after all the emotion of the day, they were exhausted. He saw them sleeping. He said, could you men not keep watch with me for an hour? Watch and pray so that you won't fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. When Peter said, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. The spirit was willing, but the body was weak. He went away a second time and he prayed, Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. If you have, if you have a plan B, please let me know. But if not, so be it. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed a third time, saying the same thing. And then he returned to the disciples and said to them, still sleeping. <laughs> Look, from the Garden of Gethsemane to the eastern retaining wall of the temple platform, the golden gates at the center of that wall, from the Garden of Gethsemane to the Golden Gates. You leave the Garden of Gethsemane, go down through the Kidron Valley and up the other side to the gate. But from the Garden of Gethsemane to the gates, it's a straight line, a straight line, 325 yards. I measured it with my laser rangefinder. The gates open. He sees it from the Garden of Gethsemane. And coming out are temple guards. Now notice there is not a single Roman among the group. These are temple guards and temple authorities led by Judas. So while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. And with him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer, Judas, had arrange the signal, the one I kiss is the man, arrest him. Well, that was a standard greeting in those days in the Middle East, and today it is as well. When we get to Egypt or Jordan or Turkey or Greece and we, we meet our friends for the, for the first time or re, re reacquaint ourselves with them, on seeing each other, 
we embrace and kiss on either cheek. Americans and Europeans shake hands. Middle Eastern people hug and kiss. That's what he did. He embraced Jesus and kissed him. Greetings, Rabbi. And Jesus said, friend, do what you came for. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. And with that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. That was Peter. Peter said, I will die for you. Now here are the temple guards, armed to the teeth. They're arresting Jesus. And Peter draws a sword and wades into that group. He's looking to take off a head. But as that sword flashed, the man ducked, and Peter lopped his ear off. The man's name, we learn, in the Gospel of John, was Malchus. Jesus. Now, what would have happened here? What would have happened? Jesus stepped in between Peter and the guards, and he said to Peter, put your sword away. Put it back. All who draw the sword will die by it. He's not preaching nonviolence. He just saved Peter's life. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he'll at once put at my disposal 12 legions of angels? There are 6,000 men in the Roman legion. I could put 12 legions in action. And not of men, but of massive, fierce, angelic beings. But then how would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way. So at that time, Jesus said to the crowd, am I leading a rebellion? You come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching and you didn't raise a finger to arrest me. <laughs> but this has taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. And then all the disciples deserted him and fled because all hell breaks loose. Chaos. They're grabbing at Jesus, grabbing at the disciples. People are running every which way. And then they take him to the home of Caiaphas for an executive session of the Sanhedrin. What are we going to do with him? And we will find out on Friday's episode of Scripture Uncovered. Thank you for being with me. Blessings to all of you, and I'll be back Friday. Bye-bye now.